Well, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Grace, mercy, and peace be multiplied to you from God, our Father, and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Well, as I said today, we are halfway through Red Letter Challenge Day 20 of 40. So even if you haven't, if you skipped some days and have a book, just find the day. Remember, it's uh, October 20, so that means we're day 20, because I did do that the other day, and that's why we set it up this way. What day are we on? Oh, yeah, okay, it's October 18. Okay, okay. So if you don't have a book, grab one and pick up now as we are studying challenges. What if we looked at, took Jesus seriously at his own words and believed him? And believed him and, and lived what he said or tried to live what he said as the Holy Spirit fills us and leads us to. And so the themes we've looked at are this, being, forgiving, and today is serving, then giving and going, our last two ones. But you're going to know these by the end, so that's why I keep showing them to you. Being, forgiving, serving, giving, going. Say that with me. Being, forgiving, serving, giving, Again, being, forgiving, serving, giving, going. If you look at, obviously Jesus talked about a lot of things in his ministry, but these are five pretty solid ones that he talked about so many times in so many ways. And that is before, first of all, a few weeks ago we looked at, before we can even get to doing anything for Jesus, we first have to be with him. So when we are with Jesus, we be being, when we are with him and we know him, we receive his forgiveness. Just week two then, we know who Jesus is. He came to, to seek and save what was lost, you and me, and we are forgiven. We receive his forgiveness. That was last week, and uh, if you were here, I said, I wasn't here, so Pastor Chris Young uh, gave a very good forgiving sermon, so thanks to him. Forgiving, and then when we are with Jesus and we're forgiven by him, we start to do things like serve and give and go. And so today, serving. When we spend time with Jesus, we learn what he said, how he lived, who he is, Jesus is first and foremost a servant. And when we follow Jesus, we will serve other people. So here's the verse for today. It's at the very end of the reading. If you can read it, read it with me. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. I hope you'll have that memorized by the end of the sermon today. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that comes at the end of the story, and it's a pretty shocking story in some ways, but not in other ways. And at the beginning you have, it says, uh, is Matthew, or sorry, yeah, Matthew 20, 8, 20, or 20, verse 20, it starts, says, then the mother of the sons of Zebedee, that is, James and John were brothers, and their mom came up to Jesus with them, so dragging her adult sons, you can imagine the picture, right? Uh, moms can be forceful about uh, wanting what's right for their children, right? Uh, their adult sons following Jesus, and she drags them to Jesus, and then it says she kneels, which seems like a posture of humility, but then she asks for something that's really not. So she kneels before Jesus and asks him for something, and then Jesus says, well, what is it that you want? And she said, say that these two sons of mine are to sit at your right and on your left in your kingdom. They are thinking Jesus is going to get an army, kick out the Romans, take over, set up shop. He's going to have the coup and ru rule and reign. And, and boy, I, I want my boys to be there because they're with him. And, and this is the right train to be on. And Jesus says, you don't even know what you're talking about. 
are you able to, to drink the cup that I'm going to, are you able to do what I'm going to do? And they're like, oh yeah, 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 we, we know what this is about, we're, we're in, we're ready, yeah. And then he says, well, you will drink my cup, talking about something else, but to sit at my right and, and at my left, that's not mine to grant, but that's the Father who grants that. Which then you keep reading in the gospel, where does the next time you talk about people on Jesus' right and on his left, it's when? Where does the true king of the whole universe show his power and his glory and where does he truly reign over all? It's not when he subjects everybody, it's when he serves them by dying. And those that are on his right and on his left aren't disciples, they're criminals. That's how low Jesus went for you. Then the story gets back, it gets back to the ten, the others, and they're indignant. And then I started thinking about that. Wait a second, then this gets written in the gospel, and this story was told over and over and over again. I wonder if there's this tinge of, like, shame and guilt every time James and John heard the story, kind of retold it, even as we're talking about it today. It says, but then Jesus called them and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, that is, the way everybody else lives, they lord power over them, and the powerful ones exercise authority over people, but not with you. Whoever would want to be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first must be your slave. And here it is again. Even as the, if you can read it, say it with me, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Now there's a phrase in there, I've underlined it for you, that we kind of skip over because we get to serve, which really in some ways is the main point. That's son of man. That, that's an interesting phrase there. I want to just spend a moment on it before we move, keep moving on. When Jesus refers to himself throughout the Gospels, this is the phrase he uses the most. Jesus often doesn't refer to himself as Messiah or Christ or other things. So it's the, the phrase Jesus uses for himself the most. Now, when we hear son of man, we often think that Jesus is referring to his humanity, son of man. That makes sense. Talking about being Mary and Joseph's son, respect to his humanity. That's actually not the case. This is a loaded phrase from other parts of the Bible and that Jesus is actually claiming to be God here and wants you to clue in. So this phrase, son of man, goes way back to the book of Daniel. Yes, uh, lion fame, Daniel. Because one of Daniel's visions, there's a lot more in that book, and in chapter 7, one of Daniel's visions that God gave him at night talks about a son of man. Here, let me show you. It's a little smaller. It might be tough to see. That's okay. But Daniel says, I saw in the night visions from God. Behold, with clouds of heaven there came like one like a son of man. That's the phrase. And he came to the ancient of days. That's God himself. And to him... Son of man was given dominion and glory and kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. So, book of Daniel. Daniel's given this strange vision of somebody who's called a son of man yet has all the power and glory that God has and people serve him as if he is the God over all. So, when Jesus uses that himself he's not saying no I'm, I'm only the son of Mary and Joseph he's saying I'm also that so he says the son of man with all that power and all that glory over all that all things serve and worship him came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many 
the Son of Man, God himself, when God himself puts on human skin and bone and walks among his own world and his creation, how does that God act? He serves. When God shows up, he serves. Just think about that. God doesn't sit on his throne commanding peon humans to feed him peeled grapes and wave palm branches like you see in movies of ancient Egypt and things like that. He could, he should maybe, but God doesn't. What does God do? He serves. When God came near, he came incognito, born as a poor man to a poor couple in a poor village in a poor country that was often irrelevant to the rest of the world, and he came there to serve with his whole life, all the way to bleeding and dying for you with two criminals on his right and on his left. Jesus is a servant. Last week, Amy and I were gone for a very important reason. We got to go on a short trip to a wedding of someone very meaningful to us. But at that wedding, an interesting thing happened. My wife, Amy had dinner next to a billionaire with a B, yes. Eight years ago, I, eight years ago, uh, we had an exchange student from Spain who lived with us, Mark, so some of you remember her, and she got married. So Amy and I went to Spain last Saturday for the wedding, and it was remarkable. It was great food, great wine, uh, Cuban cigars, you can't get those here, uh, great people, just a great time. But at dinner, we sat with Marta's parents, all her parents' friends. And so uh, her dad had talked to me at a lunch a few days before and kind of gave me the scoop about their, they said, you know, we love our friends, you'll be with them and they'll take good care of you. And then he said, well, you're going to, and he kind of gave me the inside scoop, he said, well, you're, and Amy wasn't there for this conversation, so he said, hey, you're going to eat dinner with a billionaire, but you'll never know it. He went on, he said, he, he runs one of the largest banks in the world and he's met presidents and heads of state all over the world, but he's humble and kind and he'll never tell you. So I knew this, uh, Amy's on my right, and then he's on the other side, and then I didn't tell her that information. And then so she sits down next to him, I'd figured it out, and she was talking to him, and she's just chatting it up, asking about kids and grandkids, and, and then, you know, the question came up, oh, where do you work? And he said, oh, I, I work in international banking. And then he said, he went on, he said, I try to make our bank a force for good in the world. And we try to, he said the phrase, we try to bank with a soul. And then later, I, I kind of jotted his name in my memory and looked up his name later, and it's like, holy cow, I started to find Wall Street Journal articles, New York Times articles, interviews on CNN, all sorts of stuff with this guy. And then Amy and I started to reflect on that experience of our dinner, and we kept marveling on what to us was a Jesus-like quality that our a billionaire dinner friend could have told us all sorts of things about himself that would have impressed us. Or made him look bigger and us look smaller or whatever. He could have told us about all the money he has made or, or the people he has met or the degrees and the awards. And, but when the topic of, of his work came up, banking and money, he wanted us to know that he wants banks to help people and to help countries and make the, the world a better place. And, and family came up, he wanted us to know that he loved his family and, and, and has sacrificed in his life so that he could be with them more. And it just got me thinking about what Jesus says. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
serve. Have you ever thought about it this way? When you and I serve other people, we become in that moment God-like. You know, it might sound strange to hear it that way or even to say it that way. When you do what God does, you, in a sense, become God-like. You become like God. You're doing what he wants. When we do God's will, we align ourselves with, with God and God's heart. So when we forgive people, as we looked at last week, we are acting in line with God. When we serve others, we align our hearts and our lives with the will of God. And there's part of me that wants to do that, but then it asks at the same time, the, the really hard question is then why do we struggle with this? Right? Because there's a part of us, maybe for most of us, maybe not all, maybe most of us, that, that it's hard to serve sometimes. So why do we struggle? Why is it hard to serve? Why are there times when I don't want to serve other people? I think there's probably a lot of, a lot of reasons. And sometimes it's that we think people are beneath us. Some sort of social hierarchy where we think they should serve us. Or other times, it's just time. Say, well, my life, life is busy and, and packed, and I just can't imagine putting something else in. You know, serving might just feel like one more thing to do to jam into your busy life. So it feels hard. But I think maybe the biggest reason it can be hard for us to serve is that most of us here are very good at putting ourselves first, Right? I can be very good at putting myself first, thinking of what I want to do, doing what I want to do, spending money on ourselves, time on ourselves. Most of us are really good at making ourselves number one. And there's a part of us then that thinks, boy, if I give all that up and, and put all myself aside and then just like put somebody else's agenda first and, and serve them, part of us thinks we're going to lose something of us. I give up my time, my energy, my priorities, then life is no longer about me. And if you serve someone else, then, then you're, you are setting aside your agenda, your to-do list, your priorities, your ego, and then you put somebody else first. And if we're honest, most of the time, we are pretty good at putting ourselves first. I want to be in control. I want to be in, in charge. I want others to serve me. And yet, here we are with Jesus, the Son of Man, creator of the universe, in charge over all, and his very heart and soul is to serve. Serving is the very heart of God, yet my sinful heart resists it every day. But guess what? When we actually do serve, when we actually do put our pride and our priorities aside, and we, and we do serve, we don't actually lose ourselves. You actually start to find that you'll find yourself. And you'll find your truest self, your inner saint, who really does want to be like Jesus. And how does Jesus serve? There's the last part of the verse. We've looked at the first two parts. Let's read it again and look at the last part. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. Many is a Hebrewism, by the way, for all. He doesn't mean most people. I died for most of you, but not all of you. Not at all. It's a figure of speech that means for all. The ultimate service isn't just giving your time, your money, your day, your agenda to somebody else. It's giving your very life. We often say that when uh, somebody who served in the military died in the line of duty, we say things like they gave the ultimate sacrifice. That is, they gave their life to help somebody else. Jesus gives his life 
the only life that could ransom us, buy us back from the power of sin and of death and of the devil. Jesus, the only one who could do that, does that. He gives his life to, to win you back. And because he has done that, because he's died and rose for you, he gives you his servant heart to serve others. You see, when God shows up in his world, he comes to seek and save what is lost, that he comes to, to forgive, he comes to comfort the hurting and feed the hungry, and he comes to find you and me and lead us home back to him. And when we are home with Jesus, we serve. Jesus came to serve you, wash your feet, heal your wounds, feed you at his table today, and, and because he's done all that and will do that, we become servant people. And it's not just that Jesus forgives your selfishness and my selfishness. He actually gives you a new heart. He gives you his heart that wants to serve others. So here it is. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for me. See if you can do it without. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Good job. Now may the peace of Christ that goes beyond our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds in faith.